Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, the first Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm the Fire Soldier. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 97, which begins with the Allies invading the Hydra compound and ends with Cap pinned down by the Flame Trooper. Back on the show, it's Nate Bubble Wheat Withrow. Hello, Nate. Is it getting hot in here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? No kidding. All right, so this minute starts off, uh, we're, we're following the troops, and I am just wondering, what happened to Marita and Jones? Where did those two go? And it's weird, because as we saw, Jones came in with Fallsworth and Dum Dum, Marita came in with Dernier, and now we have Dernier, who's joined up with uh, Fallsworth and Dum Dum. So where are those two? And I can't help but feel like there's a story thread that was cut out of this. Does it feel weird that suddenly, like, we're not seeing two of the, the team? Or are, are we just meant to so completely lose focus on all of them and just focus on Captain America at this point? That doesn't matter. I'm not thinking about him at all. Yeah, I I just feel like, you know, this is just getting into the chaos of the battle and they're they're just not following through with continuity. Could even possibly be due to maybe the actors' schedules. Well, yeah, that's actually a point I hadn't thought of. I just it's so weird to me that it's dumb dumb and fallsworth with Dernier. It's like <laughs> How did, like, where did Jones go? It's just weird to me that suddenly our group has, like, shifted. And, again, it's a very minor note because they all kind of disappear largely. And, I, I you know, as I said in uh, our last minute, what we're really doing as this, uh, you know, this invasion happens, we're slowly whittling characters out as we get closer and closer to um, to the point where it's really just kind of our antagonist and our protagonist together. But to that end, yesterday's minute is the last time that Steve ever saw any of the Howling Commandos. Oh, that's right. Yeah, when Fallsworth throws him his shield, that's the last thing he ever hears of them. Wow. Isn't that sad? Yeah, that's sad. Please. They didn't even know. Yeah. Um, my next question, is Peggy underdressed for battle? Yeah, everybody else gets real, like, uniforms and Peggy's and, in, and her, helmets. like, dress leathers. <laughs> it almost looks like riding chaps or something. I'm like, what is yeah. she doing? What is she doing? <laughs> uh, I, so a thing strikes me. Can we, can we transition just briefly to the blue goo, to the blue splody weapons? Blue splody. All right, let's talk about blue splody. All right. Number one, I made a comment based on what we had seen at the time yesterday about how there is no blue blowback, like when there's one blue beam for one target. And I am mistaken. As it turns out, if you frame by frame right around second 32, Schmidt shoots a soldier and that soldier blows up and then the blue continues and blows up the soldier behind him. He's got a two for one. We do have precedent setting two for one blue goo explosion and disintegration yeah i actually had that in my notes too i i couldn't i like i was i didn't frame by frame it but i was watching it several times over and i i was trying to figure out if he fired four shots or if he fired just the three shots and took out four yeah, of them he takes out four guys that is fascinating now there is a certain reputational argument uh, uh about these 
guns. If you notice what happens when all of the the Axis uh, ally soldiers are running into the base, the the Hydra soldiers are disintegrating all of them. And when the Hydra soldiers die, they just are dead on the ground. So <laughs> a battle scene against a, a blue splody weapon enabled Hydra force ends up looking like the Hydra weapons were really bullied because there are no <laughs> dead American soldiers, just dead Hydra soldiers. And it uh, you have to wonder if that's part of Schmidt's plan. Like, maybe he's doing this as a PR effort, too. There's something about it. Like, maybe we'll look much better if uh, if it just looks like we're constantly being picked on by a superior force. <laughs> 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 that is a strange motivation. <laughs> it would be very Especially strange. Especially coming from Schmidt. <laughs> I also find it interesting. Like, do you think that the blue splody substance, the Tesseract substance that's coming out of these guns, is more or less powerful depending on the size of the gun that you're wielding? Hmm. Like, is Schmidt's pistol kicking off as much of a blast as the big Arnimulation? That is weapon? my question. That is my principal question, because why does he he's holding his little gun, which does the same thing, right? He shoots somebody, he disappears, right? But I don't think, well, and it's interesting because when he wields the Arnimulation uh, weapon, he seems to at least know how to use it because he pulls the trigger and, and manages to, you know, tick off a whole bunch of rounds that his troopers outside don't seem to be able to do. Like, they're just like, shoot once. And now I'm going to aim. And now I'm going to shoot again. Like, they are very slow with the way that they uh, kind of shoot through things. So it's it's kind of, I don't know, it is a peculiar thing. He's just better at it. Yeah, he's firing it like a semi-automatic. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I don't I don't really know. That's an interesting, an interesting point. And also, why are the um, American soldiers who survive, once they kill them, why don't they pick up more of their, the Arnimulation assault weapons? Oh, that's a much bigger question. Yeah, I, I was curious about that, too, because there, there's like hardly anybody on the Allied side. And, and they've been taking out these these Hydra weapons factories for the past what, 20 minutes. Yeah. And right. and you would think that, you know, even if they have a limited battery, that they would be able to get at least some use out of them but other than like more than just giving a couple of them to uh, Howard Stark. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's interesting. The guns themselves, I mean, Schmidt picks one off up off the floor to start uh, blasting at people, and he doesn't have the backpack that goes along with it. I wonder if all of the other troopers, like, I don't know, do they do they work for a limited time when they're not, I, I assume, I never see like a cable running from the, the Hydra troopers' guns to their little blue backpacks that they're all running around with, but I assume they must have something that's kind of feeding the continuous energy into the guns. So maybe the one that Schmidt picks up has just like a few shots left and he's able to get the rounds off before it dries up. I don't I don't really know. Well, I mean, what does it do? Like once it shoots all of the blue goo. I think that's a really good question. And maybe the backpack just has, you know, a bunch of those um those little battery pack lens flares. <laughs> it's just a pack of flares. <laughs> <laughs> So here's my other question. Well, first of all, I, I, 
when I first was watching this and I saw all of these explosions that suddenly go off outside, I was like, well, wait a minute. There's the front door and the front door looks totally fine. Didn't Steve already, quote, knock on the front door? And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They actually there is a hole in the front door from where he crashed his motorcycle into it. I was very excited to see that there is continuity with that, that we do see where his motorcycle blew a hole in the door. Blew up, yeah. My question for you, though, and, and I find this very strange because we have this attack happening where all of the soldiers are outside and the music kind of builds to this moment. And right around second 17, 17, 18, a truck explodes. And then suddenly, like, all of the trucks explode. And the music kind of had stopped. It was like this crescendo of a whole bunch of explosions that happen outside. And that's when we see, we cut inside and we see a couple explosions go off in the hallway in front of Red Skull. But it felt like so deliberately done, like, were we meant to think that, oh, this is the turn of the war or something like that? It was a strange moment, but especially with the music peaking as that as the explosions start happening. Did that? Did either of you notice that as far as the way the, the explosions were timed and suddenly how everything kind of shifted? Well, it is a hero moment, right? I mean, we're so, I think we are supposed to have that start feeling that twist as everybody runs in. But why why a bunch of explosions? It's not like we see a demolitions expert running in and planting a bunch of bombs that then all go off at the same time. But it feels like that's what we were meant to think. Yeah. And we also don't see any, like, uh, heavy machinery coming in after them. We only see foot soldiers. Yeah, like it could have been like, oh, here comes the armada of tanks coming in to turn the tide or something. Yeah. It's a weird little moment. It's a weird little moment. I, I Honestly, the more I watch this in, uh, you know, minute chunks, I find a lot of the action sequences a little frustrating. My other question is, why is Schmidt running to the front door? <laughs> <laughs> he just went down 4,000 feet, as we determined in yesterday's minute, <laughs> yes, from his office true. down to the front door, <laughs> only to find the allies knocking. And then he turns. And oh, I was my like, God, they're here. Oh, I guess I'll go to my plane back up on the 3500th 3, floor. <laughs> yeah. Wherever it is. That's okay. That's amazing. I guess, I I guess you're right. We really, we really poked a <laughs> hole in this one. <laughs> I just don't know. Like, where is he going? Was this the shortcut? <laughs> yes, he was. He missed apparently the slidey uh, into the slidey the the slide into the ball pit has been detonated by the invisible munitions expert. <laughs> he had to walk. Yeah, so Schmidt now turns tail again, and now he's going to go back up to his airplane. I don't know what's going on with this. Uh, sometimes I, I look at this and I'm like, I, like it, it's designed as if it's all on the same floor. And that's, I think, a struggle I have because <laughs> it's forest. It's like lush green forest on one end and it's mountain peaks on the other. <sighs> I can I can work through this. I'm going to work through this. It's going to be okay. <laughs> I I think it's important to work through it so that we can get to the next shot where Cap is chasing him down the hallway and we can talk about my next complaint. <laughs> okay, before we do, uh, Bubba Wheat, uh, do you have anything about any of this stuff at the beginning of the minute, the first 30 seconds? Yeah, not really. I mean, it's from my point of view, like I, I was watching it, it, it just feels like, you know, a full 30 seconds of a bunch of running and blue and orange flashes. And then, of course, we do have the moment we should just call out, Pete, before we get to Red Skull and Captain America in the hallway together, we have the Hydra Troopers run around the corner, 
And one of them decides this is the time where I'm going to yell our our catchphrase. And he's like, cut off one head, two more shall. And then, of course, Colonel Phillips takes him down and says, let's go find two more. I do want to call this out just because this is the one actor who is credited as a Hydra guard. He also is credited as a Hydra pilot, although we'll never know which because their faces are completely covered up in their gimp outfits. Uh, But this is Benjamin Utley. Benjamin Utley is the is the guard who does scream that out at the at the team before he gets uh, taken down. I'm going to do the IMDb game with you, but I'm going to just tell you what his known fours are because I'm guessing you're not. You probably <laughs> aren't sure. Seems like a short yeah. game, but okay. I'm I'm a big fan of the actor whose name I've already forgotten. <laughs> Benjamin Utley, uh, you know, he, he dies well here. Uh, he is a British actor here working on this film. And uh, he, this is number one of his four known fours, followed by a film he was actually a, a producer for, for called Silver Spitfire, The Longest Flight, which uh, is a documentary that he wrote and directed about a, uh, a British expeditionary team that attempts the world's first circumnavigation of the Earth in an 80-year-old vintage World War II fighter to inspire a new generation through the freedom of flight. Anyway, that's number two. Number three, he was an, part of the additional crew on the film Wimbledon, the, what's his name, Kirsten Dunst, Paul Bettany film, the tennis film. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, he plays a Vogon soldier in The Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, Hitchhiker. I I knew I recognized him somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's Benjamin Utley. And uh, alas, we we barely got to know you before you were shot by Colonel Phillips. Alas. And uh, of course, Colonel Phillips has his quippy line. Which is the best. (laughs) Let's go find two more. (laughs) I I love that. I also love just his arc in, in this movie. Just going from this put upon Colonel. And he it doesn't want Rogers to begin with. And then he starts to develop, you know, appreciation for him. And now at this point, he's basically following him. Do you feel like his turn uh, came too early in the film? No, I I don't think so. I I think I, I really felt like it's it was an organic process with him just developing you know a, a little bit more respect as uh, with each scene that they have together yeah that was kind of a struggle i had in the uh, when steve brings back the troops uh, in the middle of the film and colonel phillips kind of had his faith huh and he seems to kind of have made his switch but i guess i can see your point it's like he slowly over the course of it is giving steve more and more work and here he's now not just giving Steve work, but he's literally following Steve into battle. So, yeah, it's good. It's like that that good twist of of um, you know faith. Yeah, right, right. In his soldiering, uh, do you like Tommy Lee Jones as a, as an actor? Oh, definitely. I I can't think of a role that I. Well, I I take that back. I I can only think of one role that I'm not too big on him, and that's uh, Batman Forever. <laughs> shocked i tell you i am shocked that was a big role for him uh and when i say big i mean yeah, he was what, putting exactly a lot do out you mean putting, a, putting a lot out <laughs> in that performance <laughs> um all right so pete let's talk about captain america and red skull in the hallway 
Do you know what? This is the thing. We've been talking so much about the blue splody weapons. I've like, okay, we have the chase down the hallway. Cap throws the shield. I actually like that. I I like that Cap is in there and he's running down the hallway and he throws it and it bounces and it stops the door the uh, the door from closing. All that is fine. The problem that I have with it is I no longer believe in the utility of the flame soldier and I struggle with why <laughs> why they even exist on the Hydra team. Why not just have the same flame soldier but replace his weapons with the blue splody goo and let him just like just blow stuff up. Like it feels like that's why are we still dealing with fire in this man's Hydra? I just can't like now I just can't get it. It was a cool effect. It was a very cool effect when we first entrapped Cap when he was outside. Maybe not believable, but at this point, I am I'm done with the flame soldier. I just really I don't feel like it's that good of a of a um, of a particular munition for Hydra at this point. Yeah, and and I don't know if you talked about it during the first uh, instance of, of the the flame soldiers, but um, you, you know the the typical. Uh, amount of fuel it, for a, fl- a flamethrower of this era is on average about six seconds and at most about 10 seconds. So if he just waited two more seconds, he would have ran out of fuel. <laughs> would have run out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is the other thing. This was my complaint is that, you know, he blasts his fire at Steve. One, he just stands still. Just keep walking. Like, why do you have to? Is do you have to stand still when you're blasting your flames? You know. Apparently. And two, like, why does he just shoot it up the hallway instead of like, well, okay, Steve went and hid behind the door. Well, I'm going to like angle so at least I'm hitting the wall next to him uh, or something. Like, it's, it's strange that these people just seem to be only able to shoot in one very specific direction and can't move when they're shooting. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't love it. They can. They can only shoot cinematically. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's part of the training, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, here's here's a note. Maybe this is why he doesn't blast where Steve goes because the German sign on the wall next to Steve says "Special Service Department, Entry for Authorized Personnel Only, Caution, Explosives." So maybe he knows that you know this is a room full of explosives, and if he angles his flamethrower toward it, he may set everything off. Little reaching there. Really great that we just have these rogue flame soldiers wandering in any proximity at all to entire rooms dedicated to explosives. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we saw in the factory floor when, I mean, we didn't see a, a flame trooper there, but we did see just boxes of explosives just randomly sitting right. on the uh, mm-hmm. and by the walls. So, yeah, it's strange how they keep things here. All right. Well, I don't know if I have anything else uh, for this particular minute. Do either of you? No, that's all I got. Nothing for me. All right. Well, Peggy arrives. We'll talk more about that in tomorrow's minute. So, uh, Nate, tell everybody again about what you're up to. Uh, Sure. Today, I will talk about my Time Loop podcast, which is a Movies by Minutes adjacent uh, format. And, um, you know, I'm four seasons in. I'm about to... Uh, well, yeah, I'm four seasons in at this point. I alternate between movies and TV shows, and I take a time loop story, and each episode talks about one loop in that time loop. So it's the, the chunk can any, be anywhere between like, you know, 15 and 20 minutes. 
to like one second for <laughs> the <laughs> frequent montages, which I, I honestly, I, I do enjoy recording the montage segments whenever you're only dealing with just a few seconds of footage in these montage uh, scenes. <laughs> And that's it's time to rewind, and you can find that on Anchor.fm. And uh, and again, with everything that I do, uh, you can if you follow me on Twitter, where I'm at Bubba Wheat, that's the best place to find me and my work. Where did where did Bubba Wheat come from? Um, that's it's it's an online name that I've had for uh, probably over twenty years now. Like back whenever I first got uh, like AOL three point one, um, I've got my first email address and I and uh, AOL screen name and I desperately wanted to have something that didn't have any numbers and so this was like probably 20th on my list uh you know I went through the fantasy names and then I eventually got around to like stand up comedy and um I can't think of his name but the redneck comedian at the time um that had all the redneck words uh, you might be a redneck. You might be a redneck. Yes. Yeah. Jeff is yeah. not Jeff. Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. 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 Right. Yeah. And so I, I went, you know, my, uh, my funny made up redneck name was Billy Bob Joe Buckwheat. And so <laughs> I shortened that down to Bubba Wheat and I got that with no numbers and I've been using that ever since. And, you know, it's a unique name and nobody else has copied it. So I, the fact yeah, that if you do out. a search, yeah, if you do a search for <laughs> bubble wheats, one word, and 95% of that is, is all me. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we'll put links to your stuff in the show notes so everyone can check those out. Uh, check that stuff out, everybody. And we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 98. So, Pete, thanks as always. I was going to, I was going to do a bit about my early screen name, but. It's not appropriate anymore. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.